Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we heard the account of our Lord forgiving and healing a paralytic from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. This same event is also recorded in both St. Mark and St. Luke, each of which include a few extra details and give us the much-beloved picture of the paralytic's friends climbing onto the roof, bringing their friend in his bed, removing some of the parts of the roof in order to lower him into Jesus' presence. They had to do so to get him anywhere close to Jesus, because he was surrounded by crowds, including the disciples, scribes that were sent from Jerusalem to check up on Jesus' teaching, and other followers seeking to hear Jesus teach and receive some healing. Our text begins, Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, these men did not bring the paralytic to Jesus merely in order to hear him teach. They went through great troubles in order to bring him there. They brought this man on his bed to Jesus, trusting that Jesus was able to do something about it, having faith that Jesus would be able to heal their paralyzed friend so that he could walk again. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw the faith of these men who brought their friend to Jesus, trusting that he could heal him. Jesus saw his faith, the faith of the paralyzed man who was lying on his bed, unable to move. This man had faith that Jesus could heal him, just as his friends did, for he agreed to be brought along with them. This faith was created by the Holy Spirit, working through the testimony of Christ Jesus. One of his friends may have witnessed Jesus' healings the last time that he was in Capernaum. That is where they are, his own city, Capernaum, where he based his ministry in Galilee out of. After all, the last time that he was there, he had cleansed a leper, healed a centurion's servant without even going to his house, and healed St. Peter's mother-in-law. And then, it says, that evening they, the people of Capernaum, brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. Maybe one of these men had witnessed Jesus heal someone at this time. Maybe he was even healed by him. Maybe he had only heard about these events that happened. No matter what it was, the Holy Spirit had created faith in him and in his friend's heart so that they could share this news with their paralyzed friend who could not leave his home unless brought out. When he heard the news, he too believed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, our Lord, by virtue of his divine nature, was able to see into the heart of the paralytic and to know that he was not only suffering from a physical malady, but was also suffering with a burdened conscience, weighed down by knowledge of sin. He saw the man and he knew that he knew his sin. 
and that they were ever before him, and that he felt contrition, that is, sorrow, over them. We can imagine the man feeling similar to David who wrote, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I am weary with my moanings. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weepings. My eyes waste away because of my grief. This is a common ailment among those who face sickness and ill health. Nothing can make us realize the frailty of our nature, can make us realize that we are sinful beings in need of redemption, can drive home the fact that because of our sin we will one day die than being sick. Every sickness that we face is a reminder that we are sinners. That does not mean that a particular sin caused a particular illness, but all sickness, all illness, is ultimately a result of our sinfulness and of our fallen and sinful nature. And that is why it is important, not only that we have physical care when we are sick, but also spiritual care. Because at that time, we are faced with the stark reality of our situation, that we find ourselves in, that we are sinners, and that we are going to die, and that our sin is ever-present before us. Our Lord saw a man who had a more pressing need than just his physical ailment. He saw a man who was weighed down by his sin and sorrowful over it. This was the first matter that he had to attend to. This was a need that could not wait but had to be addressed first before he healed him outwardly. Not only, no one but Jesus and the man himself knew this need, but it was there. And so, seeing that he had faith in him, he said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. There are times in the Gospels where our Lord will heal someone that does not believe. He will heal one without faith but he only ever forgives the sins of one when they believe. For without faith in Christ, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But our Lord saw this man's faith. He saw this man's repentance and his sorrow over sin. And so he speaks tenderly to the man, calling him technon, child, a term of endearment, and tells the man that his sins are forgiven that they are put away. They are as far away from the man as the east is from the west. They are cast away from him as if they were thrown into the depths of the sea. They are forgiven in light of what Jesus was going to do on the cross in bearing them and paying their debt through his suffering and death. When our Lord had said this, a deafening silence would have fallen on the room. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, that is, in their hearts, this man is blaspheming. St. Mark includes one more of their thoughts, adding, Who can forgive but God alone? Indeed, who can forgive sins but God alone? Here our Lord Jesus Christ makes a very clear statement of the fact that he has both a human and a divine nature. For it belongs to God alone to forgive sins. Yet, yes, it was expected of one to forgive another when they came to you asking for 
sin for forgiveness, having sinned against you. We see that with Joseph's brothers asking Joseph to forgive them for what they did to him. But to forgive one simply for breaking God's law when it wasn't against you? That's God's prerogative. After all, it was his law that had been broken. If you, O Lord, kept a record of, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, says Psalm 130. But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. This forgiveness belongs to the Lord, and that is what Jesus is saying when he tells this man, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. It's as if he was saying, I, my son, the Lord your God, having taken on flesh, know your sin. But I also know your repentance and your faith, and I say to you, your sins are forgiven. And so, no wonder the scribes who were present, waiting to collect anything wrong that Jesus had said to use against him, thought that he was blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing their thoughts, knowing that they were thinking maliciously about him, and putting the worst construction on his words and his actions, hoping to trap him, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. Our Lord Jesus knew the evil in their hearts, the malice, the doubt. He knew that they did not believe in him, and that they did not believe that he had authority to forgive sins. To them, Jesus simply said words that he couldn't back up. To them, when Jesus said, Take heart, my sons, your sin take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, it would be as if I were to say to you, Cheer up! Brothers and sisters, I have made you all millionaires, and the power is back on. Empty words. Foolish words, even, especially if you were to act based on them. This is why their thoughts were evil in their hearts. The scribes themselves doubted, and probably others did too. After all, who had heard of a man forgiving sins, or who had heard of God becoming man? And so to prove that he had authority to forgive sins, to prove that the words he spoke were true and trustworthy, he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? That is, which is easier to say and have it accomplished by what you said? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. After healing the spiritual ailment of this man, our Lord adds the healing of the physical ailment in order to prove and confirm the first before all. The first healing, the forgiveness of his sins, was invisible. No one could see when our Lord told the man that he was forgiven that his sin really was gone. But the second healing, making the paralytic walk by simply saying, rise, pick up your bed, and go home, was seen by all. All could see 
and bear witness that this man, who was known to be paralyzed and bound to his bed, was healed. If this was the case, that means that Jesus had forgiven his sins as well. Our Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, still forgives the sins of those who believe in him, who have faith in him, who trust in him. Again, this comes by faith. And through that faith, he says to us, Take heart, my child, your sins are forgiven. And our Lord also knows that we're weak. He knows that we're faced with many temptations to doubt this forgiveness. He knows that we struggle against our sinful flesh, and that these things can be difficult to grasp and holds to mind when we're surrounded by so much sin and evil in the world and in our own lives. And so in his mercy, he gives to us gifts that we may be sure and certain that his forgiveness is for us. In the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, our Lord said to his disciples, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from them, it is withheld. Because Jesus has authority to forgive sins, he also has the authority to authorize others to do the same. This is found in the gift of confession and absolution. When you go to the pastor, that he may hear your confession with ears like a tomb, and because our Lord has elsewhere said of the same keys, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, we can trust that these words of forgiveness are the same just as if our Lord himself had spoken. For the pastor, oh, I do not say, do not hear confession or give absolution of my own person because of who I am, but I do so in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. And so too in the Lord's Supper, our Lord gives to us the sure and certain signs that we may believe all the more strongly and that our faith may be made more sure. In the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar, our Lord makes present his precious body and blood, truly and substantially, in the bread and wine. Indeed, St. Paul writes of the Supper, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The bread and the wine participate they commune in the body and blood of Christ, so that as you receive one, you receive the other, according to his words, this is my body, which is given for you. This cup is the New Testament of my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He gives to us this gift, so that receiving his body and blood, which he offered for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we may receive that very forgiveness which he won for us. And while we receive his body and his blood with our mouths, the benefit, that is the forgiveness, is received by faith in him and in his promises. So just as he gives us an outward sign to those in the gospel by healing the man's paralysis to show that the inner forgiveness is there, our Lord continues to forgive our sins and gives to us outward signs to confirm our faith as we receive that forgiveness. 
and to what the crowds saw this, how the paralyzed man was healed, and how his sins were forgiven, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. When they see that their first reaction is fear, what that is the fear of God, and then they glorify him. This may seem strange to us that they fear God and glorify him at the same time, but they do go together. One is reminded of the small catechism, which explains the first commandment, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And every other commandment's explanation begins with, we should fear and love God so that. Fear is a proper attitude towards God, something which we tend to forget in our very casual age. Yet the scriptures are full of calls to fear the Lord. Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. Proverbs 1 similarly says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the Lord speaking to his prophet Isaiah, to whom he appeared in the temple, and in whose presence Isaiah was afraid and cast himself to the ground. This is the one with, on whom I will look, says the Lord. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Yes, we should fear God, just as those who saw what our Lord Jesus did in Capernaum were afraid by what they saw, because we are sinners and God is holy, and sin cannot stand in his presence. It is right that we have a fear of God and that we reverence him in his presence, for he is great and awesome and holy, and we are sinful people. Yet, while we fear him, while we tremble at his presence, while we tremble at his word, we are also at the same time to glorify him. The crowds glorified God because he had given such authority to men, that is, the authority to forgive sins. Our Lord Jesus had taken his sins, our sins upon himself, and he died in our place. He became sin for us, St. Paul says, that we might become the righteousness of God. Such a great and fearful exchange. The Son of God, who became a man, dies, that we might live in serve him in righteousness, which comes by faith. Such an awe-inspiring act. We are right to fear him and show him fear and reverence when we are in his presence because we are sinners, but we are also to glorify him for what he has done for us sinners so that we may be forgiven in order that we may come into his presence with thanksgiving, so that we may rise on the last day and see our hope come in the flesh, so that we may live eternally with him, cleansed of sin, and in perfect holiness and righteousness, and so praise him forever and ever, world without end. Grant this, O Lord, to us all, through the merits and mediation of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.